Well, I don't have a Mother's Day message. I was actually half tempted to kind of scrap what I had in mind and give Pastor Kristen calls. So I'm just going to share something for moms, just kind of be all, you know, fluffy and encouraging and lovey-dovey and all that stuff. But there's just a word on my heart that I want to share with us, and it really has to do with as we move toward Pentecost Sunday in four weeks' time. And we don't believe there's anything special any particular day, but these seasons on the church calendar that remember uh, significant events in the Word of God are just reminders to us of what God has done, what He desires for us, and that oftentimes we just need to revisit some of those things that maybe even at one time we experienced in the Lord but it's either dissipated or we've just kind of grown accustomed or we're empty and we just need to come back to the Holy Spirit and say, just breathe afresh on me. Just make that real to me again. And so, so I want to talk about some things over these next few weeks that as we prepare for Pentecost Sunday that we, we come expecting, though you can receive before then, we come expecting a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit, fresh fire from the Holy Spirit that we just come and just allow the Lord to do things in our heart that maybe we've been uh, neglecting for a while as we just kind of get back on track. Uh, I don't remember what grade it was. I, I seem to recall it might have been grade four or five in there somewhere. But when I was in elementary school, um, I'll never forget one particular day. Uh, we had gone out for recess. And uh, usually when the kids are gone for recess, the teacher's in there making you know, preparations for the next class. And our class following recess was, I believe it was called English Composition. And so we would obviously write stories or use our imagination or whatever. And I, I used to really enjoy uh, writing and making up stories and so on. And so we did that. And so, but when we came back from recess that particular day, I noticed that the blackboard was just filled with this story. And, and I noticed that it was mine. Now, she didn't tell the class, but, uh, you know, I was anxious and so proud that my story was up there that I proceeded to tell, you know, whispering, tell all my friends around me, hey, that's my story, that's my story. And I was so excited. Well, when the class finally settled, the teacher drew our attention to the blackboard and she spent most of the remainder of the class dissecting my story and teaching the class all the bad grammar and punctuation that I had used. So my little circle around me knew whose that was, even though the teacher was kind enough to keep it anonymous. I kind of blew it. But you know, it kind of reminds me how we can, it's human nature, be very blind to our own faults, our own shortcomings, our own opinions. And not only are we blind to those things that we don't see, we tend to even kind of propagate it more. We broadcast, you know. We're quick to give our opinions, quick to give our insights or our experiences. And many times, unbeknownst to ourselves, it's not even true. There's a book by uh, Margaret Heffernan. It's called Willful Blindness. And she says this, Willful blindness grows out of the small daily decisions that we make, which embed us more snugly inside our affirming thoughts and values. And what's most frightening about this process is that we see less and less. As we see less and less, we actually feel more comfort and greater certainty. We think we see more, even as the landscape shrinks. So we actually see less, but become more and more convinced, because we're, because we're kind of inside that bubble, that echo chamber, rehearsing what we think we know and what we think we understand. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to Christians in the city of Rome. Rome back in that day was a culture very similar to ours, sadly enough. And this is what he wrote. 
He said, I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It's God's powerful method of bringing all who believe it to heaven. This good news tells us that God makes us ready for heaven. He makes us right in God's sight when we put our faith and trust in Christ to save us. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, evil men who push away the truth from them. For the truth about God is known to them instinctively. How many of us realize that, right? Even before we knew Christ, we just knew there's something more. In fact, the scripture says that God has placed eternity in our hearts. There's that realization. But he says many have pushed that away from them. For the truth about God is known to them instinctively. God has put this knowledge in their hearts. What's he saying? He's saying it's not that our culture doesn't have truth. It's that our culture doesn't value the truth. We, we don't want it. Verse 21. Yes, they knew about him all right, that is speaking of God, but they wouldn't admit it or worship him or even thank him for all his daily care. And after a while, they began to think up silly ideas of what God was like and what he wanted them to do. The result was that their foolish minds became dark and confused. Claiming themselves to be wise without God, they became utter fools instead. You see, most of our community is religious. In fact, if you ask the average person, they might even say, no, I'm not religious, but I'm what? Spiritual. There you go. But you see, the problem with our culture generally is that we have rejected the living God, and we've come up with our own idea of a more acceptable God who actually fits into our lifestyle and our choices. Paul goes on to say, so God let them go ahead into every sort of sex sin and whatever they wanted to do. Yes, even vile and sinful things with each other's bodies. Instead of believing what they knew was the truth about God, they deliberately chose to believe lies. That is why God let go of them and let them do these evil things so that even their women turned against God's natural plan for them and indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other, men doing shameful things with other men, and as a result, getting paid within their souls with the penalty they so richly deserved. So it was that when they gave God up and would not even acknowledge him, God gave them up to doing everything their evil minds could think of. They were fully aware of God's penalty for these crimes. That's what sin is. It's a crime against God. Yet they went right ahead and did them anyway, and well, say it with me, encouraged others to do, to do them too. You see, because of our fallen human nature, what we do is when we turn our back on God, we then begin to look for acceptance of our willful blindness. And we do that as a culture by fighting for our rights or promoting our sin until it finally gets approved of and it finally becomes mainstream in our culture. Previously, for example, people who would have identified as something other than heterosexual, other than a man or a woman, um, comprised about 1% of our population, up to some would say maybe as many as 3%, but it's more in the 1-2%. That generally was the rule in our culture. But recently, in these last only few years, we have seen, primarily among our Gen, our Gen Z generation, which is ages 10 to 25, it's estimated that as many as 21% 
in our society of those in that demographic actually identify as something other than what they were born as or in a relationship with someone of the same sex. Now, why the increase? Is there something in our water? What has changed? I believe what has changed is what we are seeing today is what you would call a, a cultural shift. And what I mean by that is that these new ideas, that these new identities are not identifying with realities as much as they are trying to cultivate something in our children. Trying to cultivate something in our kids who are too young to understand the long-term ramifications of many of the decisions that they make. And children get lured by the promise we are seeing today of attention, of acceptance, and of popularity. Now, I want to be very clear this morning. I am in no way against an individual in the LGBT transgender community. This church is not against such people. The problem, I believe, is simply this, is that our society, our culture, has silenced any message of hope regarding change. So much so that even individuals who come out of certain lifestyles and find freedom and find joy in life, they're not allowed to say anything. They're shut down immediately because there could not be any message of hope or the possibility of change or options. And so what has happened is that when the pain of denial or the shame or the repression becomes too much to bear, what happens eventually is that the top gets blown off. And people find that because there's an acceptance in our culture or because I can now indulge in certain activities or relationships that somehow I feel free or I feel happier than I've ever been before. But you see, what our society won't tell you and what the media won't tell you is that when that feeling of relief wears off, the emptiness sets in. Just like it does in any area of our lives when we push away God's revealed truth and we embrace lies that have been told to us or that we tell ourselves. For example, you may be aware that in the transgender community it's estimated that the suicide rate is as high as 40%. Now any reasonable person, any true compassionate society would be alarmed by that. But you see, the lie that's being told is, well, the suicide rate is so high because people are not loved, they're not accepted for who they are. That's a lie. Our culture loves and accepts you no matter what choice you make in your life. I believe the reason, very simply, is because of the hopelessness that comes. When we insist on our way, we push away God's way, and often in these circles at great personal cost and oftentimes even mutilation of the body. But yet, after going all that way, what happens? I discover I'm still empty. I'm still hopeless. That hasn't answered my needs. Society said it would, but I realize that's not who I am. That's not what I need. And because of that hopelessness, I feel despair. And oftentimes, there's suicide. And hear me, my friends, if that's you this morning, I want you to know that Jesus passionately loves you. I love you. This church loves you. In fact, Jesus stood behind a pulpit one day. The Bible says in Luke chapter 4, and he said this, The Spirit of God has empowered me to set free those who are held in captivity. 
to give sight to those that are blinded to the ways of God and don't realize the kind of life that they could truly have. You see, Jesus came for a reason. Jesus said, I didn't come to this world to condemn this world. I've come to save those who are lost, to seek out and to save those who are lost. I came as a physician to heal those who are broken and who are bruised. And what I've found over my short period of life is that many who go into these lifestyles, whether it's homosexuality, whether it's common law relationships, whether it's adultery or pornography, whatever it may be, oftentimes it's because of woundedness and confusion that can come from broken homes. It can come from broken relationships. It can come from sexual abuse. It can come from addiction. And there are many other people who were just simply seduced by a media and by celebrity who pretend that everything is going well, but their lives are just as broken and just as dysfunctional. You see, the world wants to portray the church and Christians as bigoted and hateful. Let me tell you what the world is, for example. The world is not just people. When the Bible talks about the world, it's not talking about the human population on this globe. It is actually talking about an organized spiritual system that is headed by Satan and does everything it can to keep God out of people's lives and to set people against God. That is what the world is. That's the world spirit. It's not people. It's demonic powers that are at work to block people. You see, the reason the church, the reason Christians are portrayed as bigoted is because we have the message that can save and change people's lives forever. As I've said a thousand times, it's not because we're better than anybody else, right? But we are better off. And I have no shame in saying that I am better off, not because I'm better, but because I know Jesus, because of the change that God has brought into my life. And so that's what the Bible means when it talks about the world and the world being against our culture. By the way, culture is not people either. Culture is what people worship. That's what cult means in the French and other languages. It means to worship. And so we talk about culture, we're talking about the newest flavor, the newest deception that people begin to look to as the answer to fill that emptiness. This is what I need now. And what you'll notice is it changes every few years. Why? Because people realize it doesn't work. And so the devil knows, i got to come up with something else. Oh, squirrel, another one. Oh, here's what you need now. And it changes and changes and changes. Why? To keep you away from the hope that is in Jesus Christ. That's why the world spirit is stirring the population to become more and more antagonistic against Christ and against the gospel of Christ and against the people of God. You don't have to do anything wrong. All you got to do is live a life that works among people whose maybe lives are messed up, and they might start hating you. I'm just living my life. I'm just living free, right? But many others will come to you and say, what do you got? How come your life works? I need to make sure that our lives are working. Friends, I want you to understand this morning, if any of this describes your situation right now, Jesus does not hate you. I'll tell you the one thing Jesus does hate. Jesus hates dead religion. Jesus hates religion that creates a powerless church that leaves people broken and shackled in sin. That's what Jesus hates. When Jesus walked in this world, you can read the Gospels yourself. He never once condemned anyone who was broken, anyone who recognized their need of a Savior. Who did he condemn? He condemned the religious hypocrites who thought they had it all together. 
who thought they were better than others, who didn't realize they needed the Savior as much as any person did. He couldn't get through to them, to many of them. And so I want to encourage you this morning, whatever you may call yourself, whatever label's been put on you, whatever label you've embraced yourself, I'm here to tell you what God calls you. God calls you loved. You are my loved. God wants you to know him, and he wants you to know the truth that makes you free. But you have a choice to make. You can either continue to block out the truth with your sin, or you can admit your sin and embrace Jesus Christ and let him set you free. You see, what Jesus does for all of us, at any given point in time, if you don't know him, and even at times if you do know him but you've drifted away, is Jesus comes with truth. He comes with reality. That's why we say that worship is not an escape from reality. Worship is entering into reality. It's worshiping the God who is above all things in our lives and says, you know what, this may be the way things are for you right now, but it doesn't have to stay this way. I can change your heart. I can change your situation. You see, Jesus comes to us with his reality, and he pushes into the fog of the lies that we believe, and he comes to set us free. He comes to change us and to change those things around us. He doesn't come to condemn us. He comes to call us to live as the sons and daughters of the Most High God because that's who we are. That's who we've been called to be and made to be. Now that brings me to those of us this morning who claim to be Christians, who claim to actually know the Lord and walk with Jesus. I want to remind us this morning, friends, if you know Jesus Christ, I believe we're living in a day that is no different than the days of David and Goliath. When Goliath and the Philistines stood there that day, and they said, send someone to fight us. You don't have a prayer. You don't have a hope. Whoever wins, the other guys become their slaves. But we know who's going to win, Goliath's thinking. Our culture's doing the same thing. Our world, that world spirit is the same thing. The devil is standing in front of the church, in front of believers, and saying, we defy you to come against us. Good luck. Because we are going to rid this society of your influence. We're going to rid this society of your God. And this generation will be enslaved to us. That's what the world spirit says. But I want to remind us this morning, our fight is not against people, ever. Our fight is against powers of spiritual darkness. Our fight is against demonic hordes. Our fight is against Satan himself, who masterfully deceives people to believe in the lie. And that's why for so many people in our culture today who may be opposed to God, if they knew the truth, many would not be opposed to God, but they've been manipulated by powers that they don't understand. And we need to understand that as believers who know the Lord. And so we're not fighting against people. We're fighting for people. We're fighting for this generation. But friends, hear me. Victory is absolutely impossible unless God does something that only God can do. Victory is impossible unless the people of God know their God and are able to do great things by his power. That's why I believe the Lord is not looking for charismatic personalities today. 
God is not looking for churches that may be filled, but all they're talking about is how you can avoid hardship and have a happier life. God's not looking for churches like that. I believe God is looking for people. He's looking for churches like David who are absolutely fearless. Why? Because they have won the battles in their personal lives in places that nobody sees. Like David out in the back shepherds destroying the bear and destroying the lion. God is looking for people who when no one's around, they know what it is to contend for their faith. They know what it is to walk with God in the beauty of holiness. They know what it is to be people who are pure in a perverse generation. And they understand that if we are ever going to be able to see people set free in the powers of darkness, the darkness has to be out of our hearts. We can't live and minister in that grayness and that fog that neither, knows neither victory nor defeat, but just kind of lives life until we die and hope we go to heaven. That's not going to have an impact. I believe one thing that God is saying to his church today is stop playing games. Stop playing games. Stop pretending that you're free when you're not. Stop pretending that you're free when you're not. I think the Apostle Paul had us in mind when he wrote these words to Timothy. He said, in the last days, it's going to be very difficult to be a Christian. But notice, it's not because of the opposition of that world spirit. He says, for people will be conceited, just full of themselves. It's all about me. You know, Christians like that? I can be that way sometimes. But here's the key. They will love pleasure instead of God. They'll love this culture instead of the kingdom. And then he says, and they will act as if they serve God, but deny the power that can truly make them godly. You see, the term Christian, at least in Western culture, doesn't mean what it used to mean. The term Christian doesn't necessarily mean that you truly belong to Jesus anymore. There are a whole lot of people who claim to be Christians, but what's missing? What's missing is that their lives have never been changed. I remember my a pastor friend, superintendent formerly, years ago I've told this story, but he said, Paul, he said, I've been in ministry for 40 years, and I'm convinced in the church most people don't change. They believe Jesus, they like the idea of Jesus, but they don't really change. When push comes to shove, they just do what they want to do. They live how they want to live. They sleep around if they want to sleep around. They live common law if they want to live common law. Whatever the case may be, they drink if they want to drink. You know, that's just what they do. Of course, there are those who are changed, but maybe the majority isn't. And in fact, I believe that churches are increasingly accepting sinful lifestyles. And they're accepting those lifestyles in the name of compassion. But it's not compassion. The truth is, they just don't believe that Jesus Christ can radically and permanently change people. And I want to believe that. Because to preach anything other than that is a lie. Jesus can radically and permanently change your life whom the Son has set free, is completely free. And that doesn't mean that we're sinless, that we never sin. It means that if we sin, we don't play with it. We understand we need to protect the anointing that we have. We understand that I can confess my sin, and God is faithful and just to forgive me, and I can keep walking in the light as he is in the light, and we can have fellowship with one another. That's the freedom I have. That's what Christ has come to do for me. I don't have to believe the enemy's lies that I just have to stay where I am. I like what Dan Moeller once said. He said, we relate Christianity to the church that we attend instead of to the Christ who lives in us. Let that sink in. 
Let that sink in. You see, my friends, that's why I don't care how dead your church may be. That doesn't give you a right to complain because Jesus lives in you. You might be the one through whom he wants to bring revival to that church. You're not limited by the church you attend. I mean, if they preach bad doctrine and so on, find a place you can fellowship. But you understand what I'm saying. It's Jesus in us. So when you truly meet Jesus, you'll be changed. You can't stay the same. Paul addressed this issue in his letter to the Christians in Corinth, a city that was absolutely known for its moral depravity and kind of bled into the church a bit. And Paul said this to Christians. He's speaking to Christians. Do you not know? Now, when, when the Bible says that, he's saying that because evidently you don't know. Right? Some people don't realize this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Read verse 11 with me. In the past, some of you were that. I know I was. But you were washed clean. You were made holy. You were made right with God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. What's Paul saying? He's simply saying, you were that, but you have been radically and permanently changed. You're not that anymore. Even if you fall back into that act once in a while, but your heart is sincere and you're saying, Lord, my heart wants to please you, the Lord still says you can be free again because you're not that. Even if you do it again, no, you're not that. Now you're my son. Now you're my daughter. You begin to fight and walk from that posture. That's who you are. And you begin to realize it's not that I'm not allowed to sin. I am now free that I don't have to. I don't have to. And if I do, I can confess my sin and be clean. You see, I believe a homosexual can be a pastor if he or she has been changed by the power of Christ. Do you hear me this morning? One of my best friends was gay growing up. And today he's married, has grown children. One of the most loving pastors I know. And he has been rightly ordained as a pastor, because he's been changed. That's why. Just as God changes every kind of person, God changes liars. There's liars who are pastors now. Do you realize that? I mean, some still lie. So they're not good pastors. May not even be saved. But they used to be real bad liars. He changes thieves. He changes drunks. He changes addicts. He changes adulterers and those who mess around on their wives or husbands. He changes fornicators, those who have sex outside of marriage. He even changes religious hypocrites. You see, our mistake in the modern body of Christ in the Western culture is that we make exceptions. That's not compassion. That's cruelty. Because whatever the sin, whatever the bondage, Jesus can change you forever. All things are gone, passed away, buried. Behold, look, it's amazing. All things are brand new. Yeah, we have memories, but that's not who we are anymore. We live in the truth of who Christ has made us to be. 
The Bible says whoever Jesus sets free is free indeed. But here's the problem. The Bible says of the church in the last days that it will contain many people who profess to be Christians. But he says they act as if they serve God, but they deny the power that can truly make them godly. I used the illustration in the first service. It's kind of like this, if I articulate it properly, but it's kind of like there was a time, and I believe it's still true today for many, but I know when I was younger, that if you were a Christian, you lived a certain way. There were certain things you just did not do. They wouldn't even really cross your mind. doesn't mean you couldn't be tempted, but it wasn't part of your life. And again, it wasn't that you didn't do things because you weren't allowed. You didn't do these things because you recognize you're now free and don't need to do those things. You don't need those things in your life. So we weren't out partying. We weren't sleeping around. We weren't lying, gossiping, all that kind of stuff. Whatever it may be, there was a sense of, I belong to Jesus Christ. I want to be his witness. I want people to see that life works better with Jesus. I want to be used by the Lord to reach people. Now, we lived in a society where people were generally here who didn't know Christ, and so people lived the way they wanted. Even back then, there was a certain awareness of, you know, morality and values, and a lot of the Judeo-Christian ethics were still there. So even people who did some of these things didn't really flaunt it. They just did it. I mean, I remember I was, I was actually 12 years old before I ever heard somebody live in common law. And I wasn't judgmental. It just blew me away. What? People do that? 12 years old, so just think how much things have changed. And so we lived in a culture where basically, you know, you could sleep around, you could do drugs, you could do the social drink, whatever it was, basically, you know, symptomatic of brokenness, just trying to fill that emptiness. So you had followers of Jesus Christ here, again, not, not you know, or can't touch you, but this is the way we live. And then you had those who didn't know Christ this way. But you see, fast forward 30 years, and culture's over here. And the stage isn't big enough. Not only is there such depravity and brokenness that is practiced, it's encouraged. It's mainstream. And it's just, it's just engulfing more and more people, especially our children, trying to destroy those lives. But you see, as bad as society gets, that's still not the real problem. Here's the problem, I believe is that many who profess to be Christians, the majority probably, are no longer here. Jesus is still here, but many Christians are here, where the world used to be. Now the world's out there, but Christians have moved, right? Because we want to be accepted. We want to have fun. Some of those pleasures look kind of good, and I may not even do them openly, but I do things in private because Jesus doesn't fulfill me. Well, the reality is, is because I don't know Jesus. I really don't know him. And it doesn't mean that we can't get entangled sometimes, but we can't live that way for a long time if we really know Jesus, if we're walking with him. And so, you see, the problem is today, for many Christians, they not only live where culture used to be, but they now worship culture. In other words, like Paul said, they may have a form of God in this, but they're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. They're more mindful of the culture than they are of the kingdom. I know many Christians, they, they can rhyme off all the latest Netflix, Netflix whatever programs or all the latest whatever in our culture, but they're powerless in the kingdom. 
Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? You see where the shift has been? Paul wrote a similar word to the Christians in Galatia that he did to Corinth. He, he listed those same sins, and he added this. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, people may believe something different, but I'm convinced of this, that it's one thing to be born again at a given point in time and to enter the kingdom of God, John 3, 5. But it's quite another thing to inherit the kingdom. It's another thing to actually participate in the kingdom of Christ, to carry the presence of God with you, for the Holy Spirit to love people and minister through you. It's a quite a different thing to actually know that you have a secure place in heaven. Because I know from my experience, there are many believers, professing believers, that if you ask them, do you know you're going to heaven? They really don't know. They really hope. But when they look at their heart and they look at their practice, they don't have that confidence. You see, a lot of people who have entered are not going to inherit because of habitual sin. Because you see, any salvation that does not include the life-changing, purifying, character-building work of the Holy Spirit is not genuine salvation. And it will not inherit the kingdom of God. The people of God, if we are going to be the church that Jesus intended, if we are going to reach a world that's getting increasingly dark and wicked, you know what we got to do? we got to stop thinking, how close do I get to the world? Still have fun kind of dabble a little bit, talk the lingo, do the stuff, and not lose my salvation. Instead of how far do I get away from the influences of the world spirit so that I'm filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and the glory of God, that I'm used in the kingdom business, that I can actually go into the flames and the darkness and I can snatch people out of the darkness, hating the sin but loving the person and having the power to bring the kingdom into their life because the kingdom of darkness has no place in my life. You see, you can't cast out darkness in somebody else when it's in you, when it's in you. And hear me, friends, I'm not talking about being, you know, prudish. I'm not talking about some stale form of religion. I'm here to say and remind us that Jesus said, I've come to give you life in all its fullness. Anything I offer to you that I promise you, it is for your fullness and your joy will be complete. You don't need this other stuff, this grayness. There's nothing greater than being at peace with God and the anointing of God upon your life and your life really making a difference in somebody else's life by the love and grace of God. Paul said, I warned you before and I'll warn you again. And friends, it's time that we warn again. You see, when I first came to Christ as a teenager, nobody in the church, nobody in the community would have thought for a moment that if you were living a sexually immoral life and choosing to remain that way, nobody even in the community thought you were a Christian. Nobody in the community thought you were going to go to heaven. They knew you weren't. But you see, society's changed. And even for a lot of Christians, their standards have changed. But you know what? Jesus hasn't changed. His standard has not changed. All you who are weary, broken, heavy laden, come to me. Walk with me. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Take my yoke upon yourself. Let's walk together 
in freedom. It's still the Lord's intention for us, I believe. God's standards are not restricting. They are life-releasing. John said this, and I close with the scripture. Loving God means doing what he tells us to do, being able to. And really, that isn't hard at all. For every child of God can obey him. Every child of God can defeat the world, that world spirit, by trusting Jesus to help him. We're going to move to the Lord's table in just a moment. I want to read you a quote from a man by the name of Lester Summerall. He was a Pentecostal pastor and evangelist in the mid-1900s. He was also a good friend of Smith Wigglesworth, a man of apostolic faith, miracle-working power. Listen to what Lester said. He was referring to the story in Luke 4 of Jesus coming into the synagogue, the Jewish church of that day. He said, The demon-possessed man in Luke 4 did not cry out with a loud voice until Jesus got there. Those people sang their songs, said their prayers, read the scriptures, and the devil enjoyed it all. But when the power of God came on the scene, suddenly the devil became upset. Why? Religious ceremony is no threat to him. We can hold regular church services and demon-possessed people can sit right through them beside you and me undisturbed. But when the glory of God is manifested and the Spirit of God is moving, the devil can't stand it. Can't stand it. Listen, my friends, our world, people are getting further from God, more deceived, more darkness, more brokenness. You know the only hope? The only hope is to come in contact with a Christian who knows Jesus Christ. The only hope is to walk through the doors of a church where the presence and the glory of God is so strong that as soon as you step inside the doors, demons begin to manifest. And they begin to scream out and cry out, and we see people set free. That's the only hope. Friends, my prayer for all of us this morning is there would be such a hunger in our hearts for Jesus Christ that it would make way for a new visitation like we've never seen before of the glory and of the power of God. Why? So that people finally will be radically and permanently changed. That sick bodies will be healed in the presence of the Lord. That the demon-possessed would be set free. That people's lives would be changed forever. Not just become religious where there's no change, but be radically changed radically set free, clothed in the garments of the Lord and in our right mind, and at peace with God, and at peace with one another. If you have the emblems in your hands this morning, I've asked the worship team just to take a break after the service so that they can just take time before the Lord as well. We're just going to turn on some music because we know the Lord can't move if there's no music. We're, we're, we're Pentecostal. We understand that. So he's just waiting for the music to start before he does anything. But in all seriousness, can you just bow your head for a moment? Close your eyes. If you haven't been served, just raise your hand and we'll make sure you get one of these. Just bow your head and close your eyes. These emblems, the wafer and the juice, remind us of the body of Jesus Christ that was beaten and broken and of his blood that was shed on the cross so that we were reminded that there's no sin that Jesus cannot forgive there's no stronghold he can't break. There's no disease he can't heal. He did that for you and me. He took all of our sin and bondage upon himself so that we could be forgiven, 
we could be set free, and then we could house the presence of the Holy Spirit so that wherever we go, we are witnesses. We are a testimony that Jesus is alive, that he hates dead religion, but he loves the people. He loves a church that's alive with the presence of God and the good news that we're not ashamed of because it's the only answer there is in this world for those whose lives are broken and far from God. But if we're going to enjoy that and see that in our culture, we got to get the secular culture out of the church culture and get Jesus and the church culture into our culture and see him begin to change this culture. And I believe that can happen, but it begins in our hearts. And so as we just remain bowed, I want to ask you, take a few moments. The altars are open. If you don't know Jesus this morning, I'd love to pray with you. Just come and stand. I'd love to talk with you and pray with you. If you need prayer, feel free to do the same. But I want to invite you just to do business right now with the Holy Spirit. Whatever it is he's been talking to you about, wherever you need freedom, whatever you need to confess, it may even just be something where he'd say, son, daughter, over these next four weeks, what do you need from me? What's your heart cry for me? What do you long for? And he'll begin to start that work this morning, and he will complete it. Thanks for listening to the GT Moncton podcast. For full services, head over to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or want to get connected, go to gtmoncton.com and follow us on social media at GT Moncton to stay up to date on what's happening here at GT. God bless.